Mm-hmm. Are we having a conversation about abortion? Are we having a conversation about politics? Yeah, like whatever it is that we're talking about, we can be the one to break the ice and say, hey, well, here's what I think mm-hmm. about this or here's what I've experienced, positive and negative, mm-hmm. right? All right, guys. Welcome, welcome. What's going on? RLTK PHX podcast. Episode two. Episode two. We're back. Two and two. Uh, videos upgraded. Right Shout out to Matt. Yes, for sir. Taking care of business for us. Super appreciative. What would Matt's wrestling name be if he was a pro wrestler? I don't know. I don't like Matt, though, after what, <laughs> what happened. After he, he put you in a pretzel? You mean after he ambushed me? <laughs> this dude ambushed me at my house. <laughs> Like, well, I wasn't paying attention. And I let him come over, mm. eat my food, and then he ambushed me. That's very true. Disrespect. Movie. It was out of order. And you didn't save me. So To be an, honest, bro, issue. I was a little scared because I of saw Matt. Matt. And, you know, you see people and you think, like, this guy is just a dude, right? What do they call it? Like, a jag, just a guy? Yeah. And so I saw him and then I, I kind of... Realized, like, He oh, put okay. a little fear in my heart when I saw that he had some skills. And then I found out he, like, wrestled in college. I was like, nope. Yeah, he you cheat. ever meet people like that? He cheated. <laughs> I should press charges for using uh, lethal force because he's trained. Anyways, you ran right. mercy on him. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, today we wanted to come uh, and just talk to you guys about something that obviously shapes and forms what we do as an organization, and that is the art of conversation, the science or the art, whatever you want to say. I think there's a little bit of both involved. Yeah. And so uh, as we open this thing up, the question we wanted to ask and answer is. Uh, why is conversation so important? So I have a couple of thoughts on this, and I'm going to throw it over to you, John. Yeah. I think in the world today, uh, Gen Z or teenagers right now uh, have access to something that we've never quite had access to, to before, or at least have been raised by something that no other generation has been raised by before, and that is a phone. Yeah. Right? <laughs> They've had constant access to technology. They've had constant access to information and data. And as a consequence, what happens is they can go to their phone and find out information uh, from somebody who has a PhD who created some video (laughs) or wrote some article, right? And is way more educated and expert, has way more expertise than you Mm -hmm. do, right? Or watch some video that's like super cool and awesome and it's had hundreds of thousands of dollars put into it to create it or whatever. Yes. And so this reality is like, okay. If I'm going to have a conversation with somebody, if I'm going to, or if I'm going to communicate with somebody, right, what right. is it that I'm going to get out of it that's actually going to make me want to communicate with them? Mm-hmm. I think two things, community and experience, right? So, and this is why conversation is so important. So as we're conversating right now, there's something that's happening. Right. We're experiencing each other. Exactly. I'm experiencing your feelings. I'm experiencing your thoughts. I'm seeing your nonverbal expressions. Yeah. And that's something that I can't necessarily uh, experience the same way I could here. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a phone right right and then there's also the community aspect so we're building relationship as we have conversation we're getting to know each other better right we're, we're drawing closer towards each other we're building trust right we're building connection and then yeah, that that's can, good man that can produce uh you know something later on in life so you know maybe i need help with something or maybe i need uh a shoulder to cry on or whatever it is and because we've had these right. conversations and we've built that trust and connection now you're the person i call or now you're the person that I'm looking uh, right. for wisdom from or whatever it is yeah. that I'm that I'm needing in that moment because we've had these conversations, because we've made this connection uh, that, that makes mm-hmm. that possible. And so that's why I think it's so important for us to conversate because I right. think there are things that happen 
there that can't happen anywhere else. That's very and true. And also think if we're going to keep the attention of teenagers, there has to be conversation in order for that to happen because I don't think they want somebody who's just telling them what to do or just uh, have you seen dictating that? to them or teaching them, right? Yeah. Have you seen anything like that specifically? Like, does anything come to mind where you thought when you had a conversation with a person like you spoke with them before in passing, but then you had a conversation, it was like, wow, we really made headway here. Yeah. I think like just even as I conversate with teenagers on campus right? and we have conversations, I see in, in, in situations where I've got excited and felt like there was something that I needed to tell them and that they needed mm-hmm. to know from me. Uh, you kind of see their eyes glaze over and then become yeah. disinterested as a consequence, right? Mm-hmm. But those times where we've had dialogue and we're sharing ideas, right. and I've communicated the same thing that I wanted to communicate, but mm-hmm. we did it in a different type of way, mm-hmm. the way their eyes light up and they feel valued and they feel appreciated because they were listened to, and it was actually a conversation and an exchange of ideas right. as opposed to one pressing one's ideas on the other, right? Right. And, you know... Uh, uh, a word for that would be proselytizing, I guess you could say, sure. right? Me proselytizing my ideas on you. Instead, we're having this dialogue, this conversation, and now we both feel like, sure. dang, we've been heard, uh, valued, appreciated, yeah. and we've both walked away with knowing more than we knew before, you know what I'm saying? And feeling connected to each other. Yeah, and I think that that's where that connection piece comes is when you start to have conversation with someone. I know I can tell this with my kids instantly when they're doing something that I disapprove of as their parent, they'll, you know, exhibit some sort of thing like not sharing with their sibling or something like that. And so I want to correct this behavior. And what I feel like my instant response is when they do those things is just to kind of like correct it, go in and say, stop doing that. And sometimes I don't take the time out to explain why I'm asking them. So it becomes like this negotiation on fairness and what's right and what's wrong rather than sitting down and saying, hey, why is it that you want this particular thing or that particular thing? And so the conversational model I've found with my children, when when I sit with them and have a conversation about their behavior, we seem to, to correct some of those negative behaviors much more quickly than mm. when I'm just lecturing them and telling them what to do. And to be honest, a lot of times when I do that, it's just my frustration coming out. But my question is that I ask to myself as a, as a father, what am I trying to do with my children? Am I trying to help them become a specific individual who understands why these behaviors are important? Or am I just trying to stop their annoying behavior? Mm. And if you focus on just stopping annoying behavior, do you really ever help someone grow and understand? Yeah. Right. And so that's yeah. the thing for me. And a lot of times with, with them, you know, you got to play that balancing game, right? Like how far is too far? Yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah, they yeah. have to discover that. And you, what I've found is being there as a, as a person to help talk with them through some of those things, whether they succeed or fail is much more beneficial than just trying to be a guy who barks orders, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, one of just thinking about that, you kind of bring up something in my mind as, uh, so I'll out myself. So one of the things that, <laughs> that I've had to do in my life is uh, just figuring out the things that I've experienced and how they've affected me is spend time with a therapist. So I do that mm. every other week. And so one of the things he's taught me that's really important is this idea of um, moving from uh, this idea of fear to curiosity, right? And that's so good, man. instead of protecting myself when I'm having a conversation with somebody because I'm fearful about what it is they're going to say or I'm fearful about what it is that they're doing and how it's going to affect me or what it's going to say about me, 
right? And I think mm. this is something that happens, like it happens in my relationship between me and my wife, but I think it happens between parents and their kids. Yes. Because parents are fearful that their kids are doing something that they don't want them to do or they're and not supposed to so. be doing, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. But what happens is they move out of that fear, shut yeah. down the conversation and, hey, you don't do that. You're grounded, da, 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 whatever, right. whatever, whatever. Instead of moving to them towards in curiosity and saying, well, why mm. is it that you're engaging in that? Why is it that you feel mm. like you should do this? What is it that you're going to gain out of doing it? And so then we actually get to the issue, right? Mm-hmm. We get to the heart of the matter, the root, the reason why the person is even engaging in the behavior or looking to engage in the behavior that That's uh, really we good, believe man. is wrong or negative or whatever is destructive in their life. And as a consequence, once we figure that out, we can actually mm. address that and actually really address the issue. And so instead, right. what we end up doing is we end up correcting behavior, but we never actually get to the heart of the matter and help people experience heart change and yeah. transformation, right? Yeah, so we teach good, people man. to hide, right? We teach that's people true. to experience shame and to experience guilt. And as yeah. a consequence, they just pretend that they're not doing those things and they do them in some dark corner somewhere else, yeah, right? Yeah, that's true. Or they feel this deep sense of shame because this is who I am and I really want this thing. They're violating this thing is wrong, right? Yeah. I really want this wrong thing. And so that mm. means I'm a terrible, horrible, bad person. Mm. And, and obviously we get into hopelessness and Man, a sense powerful. of depression and all those different types of things that people experience. And then they make really destructive, bad decisions uh, yeah. for themselves or for other people. And we're seeing yeah. that play out in our world today, right? And I've so, really, yeah, yeah, I've really seen, you know, not to interrupt, but I've really seen this too, man, um, piggybacking on what you're saying that when kids do things or, uh, when I used to work for DCS, for example, I, I deal with, um, teenagers, children of all ages, and there would be some sort of abuse in the home or some sort of thing that was happening. And a lot of the time the teenagers or the children would take it upon themselves, like, um, man, I can't tell my mom. Let's say one of the other siblings or parent in the relationship is being abusive, but one of the parents is being very responsible. The inner conflict that I would notice with the child is that the child wouldn't want to burden the family. Mm. So here you have in this family, literally a child carrying the burden of all of the emotional trauma that's going on. And we underestimate that because sometimes we think that you know, maybe they're incapable to process what's really going on in the world. And that may be true, but that's the obligation of adults, of, of, of wiser people, is to help people who don't have that same understanding. Rather than getting annoyed or shaking your head and saying how silly those young people are, right? Well, that is part of being young. And one of the things that I've found with, with people when I talk to them is I try to put myself in their position when yeah. I was a teenager and think, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. What would I have done when I was a teenager? And I think that's what really... What did I do when I was a what teenager? What did I do? And if we're honest, it's by so many miracles and, and, and help from other people that we ended up in a good place. And yeah, sometimes no we forget to, to think of those things, especially when we're an adult dealing with a teenager or a child. We're only thinking about, at least for most parents, I think, or, or people who care about teenagers, they're thinking about that teenager's well-being. Mm. And sometimes the teenager is not even capable of seeing it, that it's their well-being. They're just yeah. thinking, I'm trying to take and care of my family thing, right? or whatever. One of the things I've realized for It's a not teenager, a sinful motivation yeah. is my One point. of the things I've realized for a teenager is like when we talk to them or when we communicate with them, we tell them, well, you know, 
like your life's going to work out. There's so many things that are coming your way. Your life's going to be so much bigger than this. You're going to look back and see that this thing was silly. And that may be true. But what we're not recognizing is the reality that that is all they know right right now. Right. And they can't know anything else. And that is the realest thing ever to them because they mm-hmm. have not experienced 10 years from now yet. That's They're true. only living from the vantage point that they, from which they have, mm-hmm. which is being a teenager. And, and so yeah. it is the worst thing that could ever happen to them because it's the worst thing that has ever happened to them. Yeah. So in the future, <laughs> so far, that might not, exactly. Good. In the future, that's it good. may not be true, but it is true presently. And I think sometimes when Man, that's you don't a great point. recognize that, like it, it, it's, it's hard for them. It's difficult, right? Because right. they're like, dang, I, yeah, I get that you're saying this, but that's not real to me right now. <laughs> right. Because I don't <laughs> live where you live and I haven't experienced what you've experienced. That's a great point, man. Wow. So, yeah. Um, hmm. So we have a couple of things that we like to do when we engage in conversations with teenagers and we just wanted to share some of those things with you guys, uh, some values that we hold, some principles that we use, and we hopeful we hope that they're uh, fruitful and helpful for you yeah. uh, and that you can think about them, process them, maybe use some of them, maybe not, or maybe even improve them. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, this is an open dialogue between us and you. And so, yeah, drop us a comment. But yeah, the first one I want to start with, this is idea of being vulnerable, right? Yeah. And so uh, what we mean by that is when you're in a conversation with a teenager in particular, right? Uh, sometimes it can be really difficult for them to open up about what it is that they really need to talk about. And, you know, if you're a parent, Mm -hmm. if you're a leader of some sort, you know, Mm -hmm. usually you have some sort of beat on what it is that's going on or something that's going awry because you have experience, right? You've already lived that stage of life. So you can sort of guess what's transpiring in the teenager's life. Yeah. And so one of the things that we can do to begin to break the ice is to be the first one to be vulnerable, to be the first one to share our experiences pertaining to whatever conversation we're having. Are we having a conversation about drugs? Are we having a conversation about sex? Are we having a conversation about pornography? Mm-hmm. Are we having a conversation about abortion? Are we having a conversation about politics? Yeah, like whatever good, it is that we're talking about, we can be the one to break the ice and say, hey, well, here's what I think mm-hmm. about this or here's what I've experienced, positive and negative, mm-hmm. right? And so when we do that, what what that begins to shift in the mind of a teenager, in, our, in my experience for sure is that okay, you're not here to just tell me what's right and wrong. You're actually here to dialogue with me. Like you're treating me as an equal. Mm-hmm. You're showing me that like, yeah, you've done good things and you've done bad things too. Yep. That's part of the human experience. But what you're actually here for is to help me uh, <laughs> figure out how to make a wise, prude decision. Right. Right. Instead of taking that decision away from me. Uh, and so right there, we start to build that connection and trust so mm-hmm. that we can influence them in a positive way, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, the vulnerability thing is such a such a big deal because I think we forget, you know, how much. Sometimes we look at teenagers, I think, and we think that um, they think they're cooler than we are, or whatever. And, and in reality, is they are a lot cooler than we <laughs> are because they're on the they're the closest to what's trendy, right? Yeah. And I think what happens a lot of times with older people is there can kind of be this um, snobbery that comes with being uh, a little bit older, and we forget that we were teenagers as well. And so kind of, like I was saying earlier, putting yourself back into that place of where you were when you were a teenager, how much you were trying to fit in and find your place. And I think that that's what motive. to be honest, man, I think that that's what motivates a lot of behaviors in teenagers, just seeking, trying to find their place, trying to discover, trying to learn 
trying to find their identity, that desire for control and autonomy, mm. you know, and, and I think sometimes again, I mean, like, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to make connections or are we trying to just make sure that they do what we want them they to do, do what we want them to do and they don't inconvenience us or get on our nerves? Yeah. You know, and I think it speaks to this reality in our culture too, that, yeah. you know, in the West, what we value is hierarchy, right? right. We, have, we value power, we value hierarchy. And so specifically in the home, right? The default is to go to hierarchy. Well, I'm the parent, you're yep. the child, you're the teen. So do what I say. Right. And I'm not saying that in cases that definitely isn't true because it definitely that. is, yeah. right? And it definitely is true. Like you are the parent, you are in control. Sure. Uh, but I think there's this reality that we can take that power that we have and use it for service, right? Yeah. And so if we take the power that we have in the home and we stoop down and we engage and say, hey, I want to come alongside you and help you walk through this, I think that yeah. can be a powerful expression of what it looks like to, to be kind mm -hmm. and loving towards each other as human yeah. beings, right? And gain that trust, gain that connection. Because I think, I think that's what every parent wants. Every parent wants to be connected to their, their teenager. They want their teenager to love them as much as they love them, right? Um, mm. And so, you know, I don't think they want, I don't think parents or anybody who's mm -hmm. engaging with teens, you know, in any meaningful way wants to push them away. Yeah. I think it's just this reality that... Um, because of some of the implicit ways that we're taught to do things because of the way mm -hmm. our world works, we don't think about those things. And then we just kind of live out those implicit values and they actually mm -hmm. end up pulling us apart instead of bringing us together. Yeah. And I think the way we deal with it, you know, sometimes with our, you know, if you're a person who's in a position of authority over a teenager or over a child, it's one of those things where, like I was saying a little bit about snobbery earlier, maybe it's maybe snobbery is not the best word. Maybe the best word is like just wisdom, right? Mm. But with that wisdom, that wisdom is a power, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the point of that is not to um, boast or, or, or to even dominate other people with that power, like, I know better. I'm your parent. I have the wisdom. Shut up and do what I say, which is true. That's a truth, yeah, right? But sure. you're using that truth in a way to dominate the person that you have authority over. Yeah. And domination is super simple because when you're powerful, it's easy to get someone who's weaker to do what you want with power, with with energy, with force, with dominance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that if that power comes from a position where, like, it's here to serve— Yep rather than dominate, yep. that's a totally different paradigm. Yep. And you have to have an extreme amount of self-control if you're a person who's in the, in a place of authority to not lose your mind yeah. when someone is yeah. doing something and then they don't even understand and what they're doing. And especially when it's destructive <laughs> towards themselves too, right? So they're, really? do, yeah. they're like, you know they're doing something that's destructive. Exactly. And you find yourself in this space where like uh, it's a catch-22 because if you go off on them, they're going to do it anyways. Right. But you feel like if you don't go off on them, they didn't do it anyways. And mm. so um, mm. in my experience, when, when we've engaged teens in this way, it's been much more constructive. I know that you looked at the data that said 69% of teenagers actually want to have conversations with their parents. Yes. And this was particularly pertaining to the issue of sex, right? Yeah. They actually want to talk to their parents about mm -hmm. it. And if they did, then they'd actually make more conservative decisions. Exactly. And generally speaking, more prudent, when more teens wise. Mm -hmm. have conversations with their parents they make more conservative decisions when they do not yep. have conversations with their parents about issues. They make more experimental decisions because they're trying to figure out what's right and what's not. Yeah. Well, the research will show you that this generation is extremely risk averse. 
I mean, this is the generation that grew up post 9-11, right? Mm. I mean, this is the Patriot Act generation who is paranoid about everything, you know? Mm. I've seen these memes before that, you know, said something about me when I was a certain age, you know, and then it harkens to teenagers now and how much more knowledgeable than they are. Yeah. Uh, how much more knowledgeable they are than we were. And again, this goes back to what we were saying earlier. Knowledge is one thing, but wisdom is another. Yeah, and that's definitely. the thing that I'm really seeing. And that's why I think conversation is so important that kids can get knowledge. I mean, my kids, kids that I talk to are way more knowledgeable than I was when, when I was a teenager. Yep. And a lot of that has to do with the phones, with the devices, with the, you know, access to, to information that they have that we didn't. Yep. But how do you contextualize that information in the world? That calls for wisdom. And that's the one thing that I really see with, with a lot of teenagers is you're not going to be able to give wisdom to someone if you don't do it conversationally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Particularly with, yeah, this generation for sure. I mean, that's kind of my take on what I'm seeing right I now. I agree. So let's jump on to another one of my favorites, yep. uh, the validation of unbelief. Uh, and this may sound super weird, so let me explain it. Uh, there's this reality, right, that um, oftentimes with teenagers, mm. they may not necessarily believe the same thing that you do, especially when they have an access to a ton of information, right? So right. they've investigated, they've read up on stuff, they've watched random YouTube videos, good or bad, yeah. and those things are informing them concerning the world that they live in. Right. And so chances are when you have a conversation with them, they may actually not believe the same thing that you do. Who would have mm -hmm. thought? I mean, that's kind of the same for almost every human being, right? We find out uh, even if we're from the same faith traditions that we have nuanced ideas about those faith traditions, right? Right. Or we're from completely different faith traditions or none at all. Right. Or like different worldviews or different like uh, mm -hmm. politics or whatever it is, right? We find out that we have different belief systems concerning, yeah. exactly, concerning certain things. And so uh, the idea is that when a teenager actually says something to you that is completely different to what you believe, you're to take a moment in that space and actually just basically applaud them for believing something different from you. Right. Now, here's the reason for that. When I do that, I'm affirming them in the reality that it is okay for them to be honest about the things that they really believe. Mm -hmm. Even if those things are different from me, because once we get to a place to place of honesty right now, we can begin to have real conversation because if the whole time I'm talking to somebody who's telling me what I want to hear, right. we're not really having a conversation. We're That's not true. really in community, right? That's true. Community requires honesty. Yes. Experience requires honesty. And so if we're not being honest with each other, right. we're not having a real dialogue. We're not having a real conversation. It's fake. It's not real. Mm -hmm. Right. Because we're both hiding our true selves from one another. Mm -hmm. And so nobody's really growing in that situation, right? Right. And so in that moment, if you validate them, you're affirming this reality mm -hmm. that like, hey, we may disagree, but I just want to let you know I appreciate the fact you're being honest. And you're yep. teaching them that it's okay for them to be honest with you. So in the future, when the more serious conversations arrive, mm -hmm. arise, right, there's this reality that they can remember like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. last time we talked and I told you that I disagreed with you or I believe something different, you didn't bite my head off. You were like, okay, yeah. I appreciate you letting me know that. And we dialogued about it, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that is one of the ways that we can really connect and right. really build trust, right? Over yeah. disagreement and me validating the reality that, hey, I appreciate you telling me something, even though I know it was probably sure. really difficult for you yeah. to say that thing to me. And you know I'm going to disagree with that. 
but thanks yeah. for sharing that with me. Yeah. And I think the reason people struggle over validating unbelief, you know, is that they are assuming that what we mean by that is that we think that it's okay for a teenager to think something that may potentially be detrimental or believe something that's false. We're not we're not saying that. What we're saying is we are encouraging that person who would have a reticence to share to share what they feel no matter what it is that that's on mm. their heart, right? And yeah. so again, we're not saying, "Man, it's so great that you think something totally false." That's not the point. We're trying to yep. steer clear from the actual content of what they're saying, and we're trying to encourage the fact that they had the this courage engaging. Exactly. to speak right? and to Which share is something good, that's different than what they know good, you believe. That's a good trait, right? That's exactly. something good. Hey, you're being courageous exactly. right now. That's a good thing. Now, exactly. whether that courage is guided in the right direction right. or not is a different conversation, but you're being courageous nonetheless. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And we can affirm that yeah. without necessarily affirming the substance of what is being said. And I think that this goes back to the long game as far as conversation, right? Are you trying to have a conversation with someone? Like, have you ever met someone and you can tell that they're talking to you just because they're really trying to sell you something? Yeah, they're trying to produce an end result, right? They're trying to produce something, right? I think that if you're having a conversation with someone, especially as a person of authority in a teenager's life, you have to realize that while the, the thing that they're saying or the behavior that they're exhibiting right now, it may not be changing at the rate that you want it to change, mm. But the thing that you have in your corner is the fact that you have a warm, positive relationship with this teenager and that when things go down, they're going to come to you yep. because they, they know that you're the kind of person that will give ear. Yep. So the question is, do you want to be that person in this teenager's life or do you want your teenager or the teenager that you care about to find that solace, to find that wisdom, to find that ear Somewhere from else. someone else who doesn't have the same amount of concern, the same amount of wisdom. Yep. Right? And so I just want to encourage every person, you know, who's dealing with a teenager right now, play the long game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, conversations help that, right? Because you're yep. building a catalog of knowledge about this person to yep. pull on. Yep. Think about this. I think part of the problem, you just mentioned it, we have way too many conversations with people with the goal mm -hmm. of having some end result. A result, Yeah. We need to have more conversations that end in I don't know. Or discovery. Yeah. Not trying to change their mind. But here's my point. If yeah. we have more conversations that end in I don't know mm -hmm. or that end in necessarily no end to be continued, let's mm -hmm. talk later, I think we'll actually end up getting the kind of results we want. Mm, that's because good. Because now what's happening is we're leaving a space for thought and for processing and for growth, right? As opposed yeah. to like this ultimatum fork in the road make a decision right now this or this type thing you know what i'm saying who's with and, me and yeah and and like the reality is Line relation, in the sand, relationships you know? yeah. and conversation are way more nuanced yeah. than that right like that's good man as humans like it's, it's way more nuanced than that right it's like we want it to be black and white but the reality is there's a lot of gray in life man absolutely and so it, it, particularly when it pertains to conversations i think we need to take that mm. in mind and we need to um be patient, man. Yeah. And, and if you're the, the long game, like you said, yeah. And if you're the kind of person who's a line in the sand relationships type guy or girl, it's going to be very difficult for you when you come up against these nuanced conversations to to be able to be generous with that person's yeah, yeah. view and find that common ground, right? Exactly. And I mean, key to relate all relationships is just having generosity, right? Like, yep. and what I mean by that is a desire to get. What is generous generosity? A desire to give to others. Mm -hmm. 
And what are you giving in conversation? Your attention. That's good. Have you ever listened to someone before and you could tell like their eyes were... Yeah, or, they're or, not really They're not really attention. there. They really have no interest in what it is you're saying. Yeah. Or they're just waiting for you to shut up so they exactly. can say what they really want to say, right? That's not a real conversation. Not at all. Yeah. They're having a... It's a monologue. That's mm. <laughs> what it is. That's good, man. Hmm. So we'll transition on to giving neutral responses to controversial statements. Now, this is important. And the reason it's important is because a lot of times teens will actually say something to you hmm. because they want to see how you respond to it. That's true. And how you respond <laughs> to it lets them know whether they can continue talking to you or not. Right. And so... It's like they're testing exactly. you. Exactly. So when I respond well to something that they say that they probably know are gonna, is going to throw me off, when I respond well to that, I actually kind of show them, oh, okay, this person's not easily rattled. Or, oh, okay, uh, maybe they're not going to freak out if I tell them what's really going on. Right. Maybe they are going to listen to me. Maybe I'm going to feel appreciated or maybe I, maybe I should listen to this person. Right. And so a lot of times when teens say stuff to us that, you know, is weird or we don't understand or like we wouldn't do or we think is wrong and we freak out, we mm -hmm. lose them right there. Right. And so it's super important that uh, when they say something that's controversial or say something that's crazy or say something that, you know, they know you're not going to agree with. Mm -hmm. It's really crucial that you respond uh, neutrally. And what I mean by that is your face, like nonverbal communication is crucial, right? Right. So if I respond by, and you'd only see this on the camera, if I'm like, if sure. I freak out, right, then <laughs> they know, oh, this person is not at all okay with what I just said. And right. you're letting them know, hey, don't tell them anything in the future. Mm -hmm. But if I respond, okay, cool. Thanks for letting me know that. Yeah. As opposed to, like, I haven't, I haven't mm -hmm. necessarily said that I agree. I just said that I appreciate you let me know. Right. And I didn't respond uh, by freaking out or seeming phased by what they said. They right. Went, oh, okay, cool. Uh, maybe I can trust this person. And I think this goes back to the idea of playing the long game. Yep. Right. When you are desperate to try to get a response mm -hmm. from someone, you're always going to be more motivated to press the issue because your goal ultimately is expedience to get this thing done and dealt with. And, you know, you can just kind of wash your hands yeah, and dust it. Yeah. And be over with mm -hmm. it. And so I think this neutral response thing, I think maybe some examples would be helpful uh, of that. One of the things that kind of came to my mind okay. in conversation was, you know, let's say I hear something with a teenager that I have a relationship with and it seems out of the ordinary, the thing that they're saying, or it seems out of character my natural response as an authority figure in that person's life, if I really care about them, is I'm going to want to respond in accordance with what I'm feeling on the inside. Yeah. And so some way to be neutral in that regard is simply to chuckle or mm. to laugh that okay. I've found. Because a chuckle or a laugh, and not not a not a, in a way to deride the person or to, to make, you know, there's ways you can laugh that can be sinister. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, but there's also ways that you can laugh that's, you know, kind of expressing not confusion, but not judgment. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 you yeah, know, yeah. and so that can that can throw people off and make them think if they're going to play something with you like they're testing you, then have some wisdom and, and, and respond the same. So a chuckle is something that I, I've done before with students that say things that 
or, or teenagers that I know or, or children that say things that kind of startle me or take me aback because yeah. I don't want to give a knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's kind right. of a way to get that energy out in a in a way that's a little bit more neutral instead of freaking right. out, right? Instead of screaming that's or good. shouting or whatever. That's so that's one thing I've tried to... Do you have anything that you... Um, I think we sometimes say too, like, tell me more about that or... Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's the opportunity to ask the question. Right. But I think you have to be in the right frame of mind. The reality is that sometimes you can get caught out mm. in a moment. But how you respond in that moment is really important. Now, uh, mm. obviously, I'm from England. We're naturally a little bit more stoic. So it's real easy for me to mm. just not respond because right. that's kind of how I was raised. And so I know um, Americans tend to be a little bit more demonstrative. Absolutely. Right? And so I think just being in the conversation, you got to be something you got to be cognizant of walking in and as best as you can um, have something in your back pocket, a mm. way that you can respond. Right. Yeah. Uh, and try and respond in the most neutral way possible to avoid um, making them feel like, oh, snap, I can't really tell them what's going on. Right. You know? And um, I think Reactions that, are so important, how yeah, we react when super people share I mean, information. What is it? Communication, nonverbal communication is like 90% of right. how people interpret. Right. Um, so inflection, the way yeah, you inflect all your voice, your things. facial expressions. Yep. Those yeah. things actually, you know, truly communicate what it is you're trying to communicate because we can say the same thing twice and it can communicate mm -hmm. two different things right depending mm -hmm. on how we say it and how 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 we use our bodies and those different types of things mm -hmm. and where we pause etc so mm, um, last thing i want to bring up is this idea of uh, becoming a student and i think this might be uh might be my favorite and i think it might possibly be one of the most important things we do uh, and, and it mm -hmm. really ties in with this idea of conversation, right? So if I'm having a conversation right. with somebody, it's a dialogue and it's an opportunity not for me to just teach you, but for us to learn from each other. And so I think a lot of times what can happen is a, um, a teen may, because of technology, right? And because of the reality that they have access to a ton of data and a ton of information, there's things that they can know that we just don't know. Right. Uh, and so I remember before I was having a conversation, uh, with a young lady that I know and at that point in her life she was identifying as non-binary right. right what do you so, mean by that and so basically it means uh no gender or like basically being okay with being called whatever gender somebody else uh wants to call them now that's the definition mm -hmm. she gave me gotcha. I had no idea at the time so I'm just like okay that so I had a, mm -hmm. I had an op I had an option right I could in that moment but physically freak out because I didn't know what that meant. Right, gotcha. Or it gave me an opportunity to become a student and say, hey, you, Explain teenager, me. teach me something. Hmm. I said, hey, I don't I don't know what that is. Like, can you teach me? Can you show me? Can you explain it to me? Like, can how you do you hold that understand? How do you hold that in your head, too, though, when they're saying stuff that you feel like... This goes back to the thing we were speaking about earlier when information yeah. kind of takes you aback or you're not sure how to respond. She's sharing something. You said, you know, obviously we're becoming a student, so your approach is tell me more about this but yeah the thing that seems a little um obviously you want to help untie some of the knots in i would assume in in her thinking about this issue yeah for but sure but at the same time you were being presented with something maybe you weren't sure how to help her untie yeah for sure and so i think ultimately there's this reality right that uh the thoughts and the feelings that people have about particular things are usually produced by some sort of worldview perspective mm. that they have, right? Yeah. And so the real issue, again, is to get to the heart of the matter. It's not that, okay, I'm non-binary or uh, I like, I'm homosexual or 
I'm asexual or whatever. I don't know. Whatever right. it is, right? I like to sleep with guys. I like to sleep with girls. I like to sleep with both. Whatever. Right. Right? It's, it's not necessarily the act, right? The, the outcome doesn't just happen. There's something that's going on internally on the inside of a human being that produces an outcome, right? Right. Whatever the outcome that is, whether it's to love somebody, to hate somebody, to... Uh, shoot somebody to, you know what I'm sure. saying? All the things that we do, there's sure. something going on on the inside and experiences that we've had and thoughts that we have that have culminated to this decision that we make to perform or participate in some sort of act. Mm-hmm. And so what I want to get at is what is it that brought you to that point where you made the decision that this was who you were mm-hmm. or this is what you should do. Mm-hmm. And so if I listen, explain that gotcha. to me, educate me, tell so me you're how discovering you got here, things. right? Yeah, I'm discovering, yeah. right? So I'm, I'm investigating, right? I'm investigating like what this person actually believes and why. So I've become curious, mm. right? I'm not afraid of the reality that they believe something that I don't understand or That's don't good. know anything about, but I'm curious about what that thing actually is, why they actually believe it. And as I sit down and hear that and learn from that, then I actually have the opportunity to respond by sharing what I believe or what I feel or mm-hmm. sharing, hey, well, here's why I think about that or look at that differently. Here's my perspective on that. Take it or leave it, right? And so I think mm-hmm. that's the hard work we need to do first. Yeah. And that's kind of the reality of becoming a student and investigating, right? So mm-hmm. I'm bringing myself down. I'm saying, hey, you teach me. I'm the student. You're the teacher. You teach me this thing. You help me understand it. That builds connection. That builds relationship. Mm-hmm. That builds trust. And then when I come back and say, well, here's why I disagree or here's why I think differently, they're not going to be as like guarded, right? Right. Because it's like, dang, you actually allowed me to teach you something. You actually allowed me to speak into your life. You actually allowed me to educate you. You must really value right. me value. as a person. Good. You value and my that opinion. And is, that is the you case value we the do. I have to say, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We but, value them enough yeah, exactly, to, listen to listen to, listen to, to things that we disagree with. Yeah. To help. And, and, not, and here's the thing. How can you disagree with something that you don't understand? Exactly. Right? We disagree with things mm-hmm. that we don't even understand. How about right. we come to a level of understanding about the thing yeah. so we can actually discern whether I love we that. disagree with it I or love not, that. right? I love that. We just spend too much time shutting stuff down because we're afraid. Yeah. We're afraid that ultimately, here's what we're afraid of. We're afraid of we're going to talk to somebody and they're going to tell us something that's going to change our life. Wow. Right? We're <laughs> or afraid, make us think exactly. different. Exactly. We're afraid somebody's going to tell us something that's going to flip our world upside down and change everything we've believed for the past 20 years or 30 years, right? Right. That, that's what we're afraid of. And so we shut stuff down. We don't want to yeah. hear new opinions. We don't want to hear new ideas. We mm. don't want to hear new perspectives because that is going to challenge what we already believe. And we, mm. as, as a human, uh, you know, as yeah. human beings, we don't like change, right? Generally speaking. And I think that that's why conversation tends to be a superior tactic in terms of trying to bring someone about to your point of view. Because when you get into debate, people start taking their sides on a position. And in general, they're trying to defend Yeah, it's their about position. winning, right? It's about winning, yeah. It's, it's about, about winning the argument, it's not, about not winning truth. the person. It's not about truth, it's about winning. Right. Right. It's not about exactly. what's right. It's about who's right. Yeah, and like I said, are we trying to win an argument or are we trying to win, win people? Exactly, exactly. That's powerful, man. Yeah, man. And so to end, um, Mm. obviously, uh, we are an organization that has uh, a Christian worldview or Christian ideas. And so we just wanted to briefly, I guess, kind of um, give you guys some of our ideas about Mm -hmm. uh, conversation from a Christian perspective. I think one of the most important, valuable things about conversation is uh, when you're having it with somebody, you actually give them the opportunity to dialogue Mm -hmm. uh, with themselves 
but also dialogue with God. Yeah. And what I mean by that is uh, when somebody's going through something or processing through something. So uh, to bring you back to the conversation I was having with this young lady, mm. um, she identified as LGBTQ at the time mm-hmm. and as a Christian. And she was trying to work out, like, how does she reconcile her faith with uh, her sexual identity? Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, hey, I think that your faith is more important than that. Here's why. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your sex- sexual identity, that's something that you do. Right. That you participate in for a moment. Mm-hmm. But your faith, your Christianity is supposed right. to impact your whole life and all the decisions you make. Right. And it's supposed to not just impact the decisions you make, but who you are at the core of your being as a person. Right. So I think that's actually like bigger than mm-hmm. the sexuality thing. And she was like, huh, I've never thought about it that way. And so we kept on talking and kept on dialoguing. And she was like, well, ultimately, I just believe, you know, that whatever I do in the body doesn't matter because mm-hmm. Jesus saves. So as long as I believe in Jesus, I'm good. And so then I was like, well, that's true. Jesus does save. But also there is this reality that like, what we do in the body matters, how we live matters, the decisions that we make matter because, uh, you know, the Bible talks about these realities that like God is going to hold us accountable for the things that we do in the body Mm -hmm. and that the things that we do in this world are actually a demonstration of what we truly believe. We can't just say we believe stuff. We actually actually have to live in a way that communicates that we believe the thing that we say we -hmm. actually believe. Right. And so without having that conversation with Mm -hmm. her and just dialoguing with her, and once again, I wasn't like forcing her to believe mm-hmm. the same thing as me. It's not like I was like, hey, we can't ever That's spend good. time together unless you believe the same thing as me. We were just having a conversation. I presented her with ideas. She presented me with ideas. Yeah. And we both walked away closer, more connected, uh, disagreeing at the time. Um, but at the same time, like understanding each other and both leaving with things to think yeah. about in that conversation. Wow. And so I think that's why that, that dialogue is important because ultimately – what happened is she went away and didn't just have a dialogue with herself, but had a dialogue with God mm-hmm. and later on kind of decided like, Hey, I actually don't think this lifestyle is compatible with my Christianity wow. and I want to choose my Christianity over this lifestyle. So I'm going to scrap that and I'm going to live this way because I believe that this is the way that God has called me to live. And so that yeah. was a powerful moment. And I didn't have to like, Hey, this is what you have to do. Yeah. It was just like, Hey, here's my thoughts. Mm-hmm. what do you think? Oh, I've never thought about it that way. Cool. Let's talk about it again sometime. Yeah. She went away, thought about it, and she made the decision herself to turn away from that and turn to this. Wow. And you would say it was your influence through just taking the time to build relationship, yeah, having build a relationship and dialoguing. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't go into that conversation trying to produce an end result. I went into that mm-hmm. conversation caring about another human being and sharing with them my thoughts on the world, my yeah. thoughts concerning the Christian faith. And obviously she identified as a Christian too. So I just mm-hmm. said, Hey, here, here are the standards that we see. Here yeah. is what God has said. Make a decision on what you want to do with that. Man, that's good stuff. And man. she made the decision. That's really good. As far as a, you know, a scriptural anchor on those things that you're saying, I've often thought, you know, when it comes to influencing people for spiritual things or mm. faith in Jesus Christ, like yeah. we believe we're, we believe that, you know, Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, yep, right? And we no believe doubt. that from the teachings of our faith, yep. right? And and the, the tra- traditions of Christians that have, have come before us. Yep. So there's a lot of reasons for Christians to have the worldview that they have. Yep. But when it comes to influencing others, I've often thought, like, why did we get into this place where 
Christianity is extremely polarized and Christianity is viewed as the oppressor. Whereas, obviously, when it comes to our faith, that we have, we have power, as you were mentioning earlier, but when did that power kind of seem to be more about winning than it did about having conversation with people like we're talking? Because that seems yeah. to be more passive, I guess you might say. Yeah. Less winning, you know? Yeah. And uh, often, I've just struggled. Where do you look in the scriptures? And there's two that I think are really helpful for me. Um, Isaiah chapter 1, come now, let us reason together. Mm-hmm. Like, though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And one of the things that I've felt like from the scriptures, what inspired me on that was that God's not scared to have conversation with us. Yeah. And if God himself's not scared of conversation, then why are human beings scared of conversation with each other? Yeah. And then as well in 2 Corinthians 10, it talks about helping to take uh, thoughts captive, mm. right? And making them obedient to Christ. Yep. Part of what Christians might call spiritual war or spiritual battle. Yeah. I think in the Islam tradition, it's like jihad or yeah, something yeah, like that, yeah, right? yeah, like a holy yeah. war. Yeah. For the Christian view, it might be a holy war with oneself. Yeah, right, and, and that that's in terms of warring with your desires and your fleshly appetites and yep. your your treatment of other people, yep, not yep, literal, yep, yep. physical, right? And so, Second Corinthians have all, has always kind of served as a baseline for me. It's I realize when I'm talking to people, I'm not just having a conversation; I'm doing spiritual war. You yeah. know, now that warfare does not have to be, you know, swords and and guns. You know, and a lot of times, to be often, spiritual warfare has been just that saber rattling, and then intentionally sometimes, you know, things that are that are aggressive means. Yeah. But I think again, this goes back to our conversational model, Isaiah one as well. We see in Second Corinthians ten that there is this aspect of having conversations with people and it having the potential to produce repentance in their lives. Yeah, it's dope. You see that in those two passages. Yep, yep, yep. Cool, man. Yeah. All right. Podcast episode two in Good the stuff. books. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, we'll be back again soon. If you like what you heard, follow. Yep. Share We're on YouTube. Yep. Share on Spotify uh, and all other major platforms. Uh, we'll be posting it. Uh, looking forward. Drop comments. Drop questions. You can message us on Instagram. You can message us on Facebook. You can shoot us an email. Whatever. Love to dialogue with you guys. Love y'all. Thanks for uh, love you guys. uh, Looking in, dialing in, listening in, watching, whatever it is you're doing. Uh, We'll see you guys soon. Peace.